But we've been looking at prayer. We've been looking at the wrong way to pray. That's the Pharisees and also the Gentiles. And then Jesus presents the model prayer. And I said at the beginning of this that it's not merely just the reading of it that we need to reflect on that prayer. But it's not something just to be said for saying its sake. It's for talking to God. And last week we looked at your name, your kingdom, and your will. The focus last week was on God. And let me say right up front here that God should be the focus of our prayer. He is the central dynamic in the prayer, and that's why the Lord puts him first. Our Father in heaven, transcendent, awesome, holy, hallowed be your name. It is holy, and therefore we are to be holy by saying it. Your kingdom come, not only now, but in the future, eschatologically. Your will be done. And I talked briefly last week that, for the most part, we know God's will. God's will is contained right here in the scripture. So living out God's will daily is beneficial for the believer. Not only that, it's called. We are called to live it out. So that's what we've, we've been going through here since chapter 6, verse 5. But today I'm going to focus on us. There is a us element in prayer, and Jesus acknowledges that. And what he tells us here is that we're to pray to God daily. This is not something that we do on Sunday morning when we come to church alone. Uh, it is something that we're to do every day. Jews prayed three times a day in the morning, at lunch, and in the evening. So it's not something that we do only on Sunday or only when we sit down at the table. It is supposed to be a daily dialogue with God. And the first thing he tells us to pray for is nourishment. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. The word give us is didomi, which means to give a gift that is valuable. It's in, in, in conjunction with what he says right next to this, we understand what the value is. To give us an object of value this day, say Mehran. Today, the hour that we're praying this, right now, that we're to give us our daily bread. Epiusios, epiusios. That means recurring daily. Within this framework here that Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, there is an acknowledgement that God is the source of the nourishment. God is the one that provides the nourishment for us. I know we go to work, we, we make money, we're able to put food on the table, but let's remember something here. God gave you the ability to work. Therefore, anything that you make is owed to God. God is the one who gives us the source. And so Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. There is within this small portion here, the idea that God is the, that we are dependent upon God daily. 
So when we pray to God and we say, give us our daily bread, we are acknowledging God as the source, and we are also acknowledging our dependency on him. There's something else that's here that's awesome because he's mentioned our father in verse 9 and now we're able to say give us this day our daily bread think about it for a moment this God who is hallowed which is highly exalted who should not have anything to do with us allows us to come before his throne asking him to give us daily nourishment That staggers the imagination when you think about it. Bloomberg is correct. He's right. The best lexical research suggests that the non-eschatological interpretation of bread for tomorrow may be best. Christians, therefore, should pray daily for the next day's provision of life's essentials as they recognize that all substance for one's life comes from God. So there is an eschatological sense that is something in the future in in which he says, give us this day our daily bread. There is rolled in this one little phrase, the idea that, by the way, Lord, give us tomorrow's additional supply. The word bread, artos, which means food for nourishment, and it can encompass anything, figs, water, anything that is good for nourishment here's the thing when he says give us didomi implying something of value he attaches that value to daily nourishment so when we sit around the table and we pray to God it is a time of thanksgiving Let me remind all of us this morning, and this is something that God laid on my heart, any time you sit down to eat a meal, it is a meal of thanksgiving to God. And we often overlook the value of food. Without food, we cannot sustain life. God is the giver of life. I know this from survival training, that you can go... uh, two, three weeks without food before you get into trouble and your body starts basically eating itself. But you can only go three days without water and you're in serious trouble, depending on the climate that you're in. Any time that we sit down to eat a meal, it is a reminder that God provides for us. We oftentimes, I don't think, because we have so many avenues in which we can go through the drive-thru and we can order a meal and we can you know, have families over, have big meals, and maybe not now with with the virus going on, but we have in the past. We have all these big meals, and 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 I'll be honest with you, I overate the other night uh, over at the restaurant. It was our anniversary, and we went to uh, Yoder's over in Arthur, and I ate a lot. The scale did not like me in the morning. Uh, I probably gained three pounds overnight, but it was a special event, so I did it. And God brought this back to me that any time that we eat a meal, it is like eating Thanksgiving dinner or breakfast or lunch. If you don't think food is valuable, then I think there's a, there's a 
a problem we so casually eat. I wonder if these kids think food is valuable. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we take a lot for granted. We, we take a lot for granted. And Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. We need nourishment for our bodies that God created. And he created us to have food, to have water, to have these elements so that we can continue to function. Give us this day our daily bread. And with that comes the idea that, God, I acknowledge that everything that I have in the way of food in the pantry, in the refrigerator, in the, in, in the freezer, everything that I have, you have given. I think that's the intent of God's, of Jesus' prayer here. Uh, this model prayer is, is there is a humbling sense here that Jesus wants us to connect with. The humbling sense is that God sustains not only our spiritual life, but that God sustains our physical life. Now, Having thanked God, I would say praise God for our food. And to ask him, Lord, please give us food not only for today. I think in Aramaic and Greek it could easily be said also, Lord, for tomorrow. He mentions something that we don't often deal with in our prayer lives. And that is this. It is about sin. We don't, we, we kind of push it off to the side and we, and we get to the give us, help us, and we forget something else, which is sin. And he writes here, and I, I like the English Standard Version, and I understand why they said debts, because it's kind of wrapped up, but it, 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 it gives the appearance that debts are something that somebody owes us. The, the New English Bible has a real good translation. I, I like it, having studied it. Forgive us the wrong that we have done or transgression. Think about it. When was the last time you asked God in prayer to forgive you of your sin? I've heard this too. Lord, if I've done anything wrong, Okay, that's general. But how about specific? Father, forgive me for my lack of faith. Father, forgive me for saying something today that I should not have said, and then just what it was. Father, forgiving me, forgive me of having a mean spirit. Father, forgive me of willful disobedience. So when Jesus says, forgive us our debts, me, forgive means to remove the guilt resulting from wrongdoing. To remove the guilt. Here's something else. And, and I've been digging into this prayer. The more, the more I dig, uh, the more God expounds to me the, the essence of this prayer. Uh, if we can go through life, if we can go through our Christian life and our Christian walk, 
And sin never really has guilt on us. That is one of the first signs of a spiritual issue in our lives. That if we can sin willy-nilly, and yet we ask God to give us our daily bread, and we say, you're exalted high above the nations, we don't really believe that because in our own lives, we're not asking God to forgive us of our sins. He says here, and forgive us of fear me, God, please remove the guilt resulting from my wrongdoing of the day. You know I believe once saved, always saved. You know that. And I believe that's absolutely true. No man shall pluck you out of the Father's hand, Jesus will say. But at the other end, there needs to be this acknowledgement that God's grace gives us and sustains us like God's bread sustains us physically, God's grace sustains us spiritually. But within that framework, there needs to be an acknowledgement of what we do wrong. Not just say stuff and, and be mean and, 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 and send behind closed doors and, and not say anything about it. There needs to be an acknowledgement. Oh, and by the way, the word debts here, which I think is where the English Standard Version was going for. I wish they would have added one other word. Not talking about adding to Scripture. I'm just trying to say, make sure that, it's, that it has the, the true meaning. The word debts is a play on aphiomi. It's ophelama. And that means sins or transgressions. So you could say it this way. Father, please remove the guilt associated with my sins against you. And it could be against somebody else. It's anything that you and I do during our day which does not come in accordance with doing God's will which Jesus just prayed for. It's anything where we fail to advance the kingdom. We just prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we have sinned with the opportunity to share the gospel, then we need to say, Father, I made a mistake here. I, I, I didn't share the gospel when I should have. That builds a relationship with God. And by the way, you can take any sin to God and he will forgive it. Any sin. Stuart Weber is right. It is clear Jesus and Matthew intended the word to mean sin here and also in Luke 11:4. The choice of this word reflects the fact that all sins place us in debt to God. That's, I think, where the uh, English Standard Version translator decided to use the word debt because it is a debt to God, our sin, even though Christ paid for that on the cross. In a more extended treatment, which we'll get to at the end of this sermon, a parable on the same concept in Matthew 18, 21 to 35, Jesus used the idea of debt to teach about sin and forgiveness. So when was the last time you talked to God about your own sin? Not, not what the other fellow did, but what you did, or your life. It's something that should be, and he says here, give us this day our daily bread. So I am assuming, since it's an apposition to what he just said, that this is an ongoing act that we do before God. God, forgive me. Not forgive me if I've done anything. Most, most of the time when people say that, they know exactly what they've done. 
They're just trying to generalize it. Get real with God because there's nothing that we can hide from God that God doesn't know or see. Then he says, and this is key, and it'll sneak up and get us if we're not careful. As we also have forgiven our debtors. The word here chosen by Jesus is aphiomi. Well, that's the word for the removal of guilt for wrongdoing, but depending on the context, it changes the meaning. And this word here refers to a complete pardon. Here's, here's the thing. When we go to God, God is willing to forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. I don't think there's the idea that if the person asks for forgiveness, you forgive them. The fact is, on your end, you go ahead and forgive them in advance. That you do not hold it against them. And that's tough to do. I realize that. There's times it's tough to do. The word debtor, Opheletes, opheletes, means one who commits a sin, and listen to this, reading directly from the lexical dictionary. One who commits a sin and thus incurs a moral debt against the person. So, When we ask God to forgive us of our sin, we need to be willing at the same time to forgive those who sin against us. This is something to be reminded of. 1 John 1 9, obviously. In light of that context, it deals with Gnosticism, but the principle is still the same. If we confess our sins, that's us. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is promised. Anytime that you go to God and you say, God, I lacked faith here, please forgive me, it is wiped out because that's who God is. It is wiped out. It's Yes, we are under grace, but grace comes with it an element of responsibility in which we acknowledge wrongdoing. That is something that is absent today. Everybody else is the problem, not me. What I'm saying is we need to talk to God about our own sin. And we need to say, God, this is where I fell short today. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And by the way, Lord, I'm going to pardon these people of what they've done against me. I want you to see the dimension at work here. First of all, you have the vertical dimension, us and God. That is the primary relationship that we need to work on. 
But the second one is equally true, and that is the horizontal dimension, us and others, and they form the cross. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he laid on Christ the sin of the world and crucified it and nailed it on the cross so that I and you bear it no more. I think God, I, I, I'm just amazed. I, I even posted something uh, about it. I am constantly amazed recently how much God, I feel God talking to me through these messages. Our relationship with God is no better than our relationship with others. Lord, tell me what is the greatest commandment? Well, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is likened unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Our relationship with God is no better than our relationship with others. We can't truly say that our relationship with God is great when we haven't forgiven others their debts against us. And it becomes problematic in, in so many ways that we kind of ignore one side of the fence while at the same time asking God to bask us in grace. And yet we are unwilling to do that for others. This is what the entire New Testament's going to come about uh, is, is trying to bring Jew and Gentile together under the umbrella of Christ and there needs to be this, this forgiving spirit within the body of Christ in order to go out and make his kingdom come here on this earth as it is doing in heaven. Every time a believer passes, they're adding to the kingdom of God in heaven. We should be about the kingdom work here on the earth. So yeah, we can say all day long, yes, I have a great relationship with God, but I hate others. That doesn't sound right. Or I'm going to harbor grudges. Or I'm going to hold on to this and not let go of it. Or, or, you know what, that guy doesn't deserve my forgiveness. Oh, really? Or that lady doesn't, hasn't earned my forgiveness. Well, how much have you been forgiven? How much have I been forgiven? No, we can't say that our relationship is right with God because Jesus says it right here. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive those who are transgressors against us it's it they have to go it has to be a forgiving on God's part and a forgiving on our part and that's the right thing to do by the way it's the right thing to do somebody sins against you and it makes you mad I get it been there done that you may even go home and play with it a little bit. And but at the end of the day, we have to get to a place where we say, you know what, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive. And again, when I, I mentioned the sandbox principle, I mean principles in which we can move around in. And God should always be first, and then we get to this portion. But we can, 
we can go, you know, God, I'm sorry. I sinned today. And I'm going to ask you for forgiveness of that sin. And, and Father, I'm going to forgive that person their sin against me. Would you do that, please? And you know, my big thing is, since I've been studying this prayer, is we say it repetitiously and it doesn't really affect anything. Jesus is trying... You see what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to perfect our relationship with the Father, and he's trying to perfect our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and the world. It's more than just, oh, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's no emotion in that. There's no growth in that. You could, you could pray this Lord's Prayer many different ways and have the key components and elements involved and get in tune with God. And then, pray for daily for protection. So we have for nourishment, about sins, and for protection. And lead us, he says, Jesus our Lord, and lead us not into temptation. Aspharo, that's the word for lead us. That means to enter into an event or a circumstance. And lead us not into temptation. Temptation, perosmos. Perosmos means to cause someone to stumble and sin. Again, Bloomberg's lengthy comment is good for us. Lead us not to temptation does not imply don't bring us to the place of temptation or don't allow us to be tempted. God's spirit has already done that in Jesus in uh, 4.1. Nor does the clause imply don't tempt us because God has promised never to do that anyway. That's in James. Rather, in light of the probable Aramaic underlining Jesus' prayer, which it is, these words seem best to be taken as don't let us succumb to temptation or don't abandon us to temptation. God doesn't tempt anyone. God doesn't tempt anyone. James 1, 13 and 14. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. So Jesus' prayer is to Lord protect us from ourselves. By the way, wherever there is temptation, God has made a way for escape. You want to do this? The best thing to do Walk away. So really, this is a protective prayer. Now, he says, do not lead us into temptation. God, I want you to protect me. Don't allow temptation to steal me away for that minute. 
you do realize that we are in a spiritual battle. Paul writes it this way. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of this dark age. So to go into battle being ignorant or unaware that, that there is a temptation every day that faces us, one of our prayers should be, God, protect me. Put your shield around me. Boy, this gets deeper into the prayer now rather than lead us not into temptation. Father, I want you to protect me and shield me and guard me. Don't let any unpure thing or thought or ideas come into my life. Father, don't let me be dragged away and either ruin my witness or not reflect your hallowed name in this world. Jesus says, deliver us, which is the word ruamai, which is the word for rescue, much like pulling out of a situation. To rescue us from the paneros. I know it's evil, but you know what Jesus just mentioned there, paneros? The evil one. Behind every temptation, sin, Satan, is behind it. He likes to lure Christians in, away from the Father. And he entices us. Jesus says, when you pray to God, pray that God will protect you daily every day you face temptation every day it's just a little white lie nobody will notice Jack Nicholas one of my favorite golfers the golden bear was once asked do you ever cheat on your golf score Jack Nicholas said, no, because if you cheat on your golf score, it's not really a true score. And you'll know it. Deliver us from evil. We have to realize that behind every temptation, Satan is waiting. It's like he promises this great thing. And then when we do it, the veil goes up and we see who was really behind it. Forgive us our sins, God, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation. Protect us, Lord, from ourselves. I did another little thing here. And I want to share thoughts. In one sense, he prayed for material. That was bread. That's from the Father. Secondly, he wanted us to pray spiritual. That is for forgiveness. And third, from moral deliverance from evil. So material, spiritual, and moral. Some have suggested a Trinitarian 
undertow here. The Father gives us the bread, the Son protects us spiritually in the way of forgiveness. And some say the Spirit fights the battle for the moral foundation of the Christian faith. That's an interesting concept. I'd have to look at that a little bit further. But on the surface, we do know that God is mentioned and Jesus is talking. Now after this, when we talk about dangerous situations, nobody would walk on the edge of that cliff and go, that's dangerous. We won't do that. We stay, we stay away from it. We avoid it. And that's what, that's what we're supposed to be doing in our Christian lives. And then he says, and be forgiving. I put both of those up there because we're going to go through this rather quickly because I've got to close this. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you yours. He'll wipe the dead out. Verse 12. But if you do not forgive others their transgressions or their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Stuart Weber. These verses further exhort, talking about 14 and 15, these verses further exhort the kingdom servant concerning the necessity of forgiveness in the human relationship if we expect God's forgiveness. These verses and, which we're getting ready to read, Matthew 18, 21 to 35, explain 6:12. Receiving God's forgiveness motivates forgiveness towards others. Several scholars have made light of this parable. And if you have your Bible, shoot over there with me because it will be coming down the pike here uh, in the teachings of Jesus. We go to Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. And we're mentioning the words here, debt, in connection with forgiveness. That's Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. And this is our Lord and Savior talking. He's been talking about parables. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That was a lot of money. One commentator said a million dollars. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So this one servant goes before the king and has a huge debt. And the king says, sell him. I want my money. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He dropped to his knees, realizing he had no money to pay this debt. Notice verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him his debt. Verse 
Can you imagine that man down on his face knowing my wife's going to be sold, my children's going to be sold, everything that I have is going to be sold and I'll no longer have it. And he's laying there possibly weeping and the master says, I forgive you. And you can imagine the relief on the servant's heart. Yes. But when the same servant, a servant that was just forgiven, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. Pay it now. Wow. That's the guy that was just on his face now emboldened. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. We've seen that movie before just recently. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Exactly what the first guy said to, this, to the master. Notice the response. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Wow. How easy he wanted to be forgiven, yet couldn't forgive somebody that owed him something. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Of course they are greatly distressed because they may be next. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him, the first guy, whose debt was forgiven, who didn't get his family sold, said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave all the debt because you pleaded with me. You catch in here. Father, Forgive my sin. Why I am forgiving those who sin against me. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have shown mercy on your fellow servant as I have shown mercy on you? Question mark. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Now this is sobering. This is, this is sobering. Listen to this. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know I get it. People sin against you and it makes you angry. I get that. I understand it. But at the end of the day, we have to get to a place where we say, you know what, God, I'm not perfect either. And by the way, here's my sin of unforgiveness, my sin of lack of faith, my sin of lack of trust, my, my, my overt sin of cheating, lying, stealing. Oh, boy, we sound really good at this point, don't we? easier just to go across the aisle and say you know what I'm going to forgive this person what they did to me most of the time it's lost people most of the time it's people that don't like us so here's 
here's the thing. This model prayer as we finish it off today. It's to be prayed with a sincere heart to God. It helps us examine our own lives in relation to him and our lives in relation to others. And one thing we need to be mindful of is that we need to acknowledge God as the source of everything. We need to seek daily forgiveness of our sin, not to keep our salvation, but because of our salvation. It's kind of like you have a computer, and a computer gets all junked up, and you have to defrag it, and you have to delete stuff and get rid of stuff and clean the system up to make it work effectively. It's the same principle. We can become, over time, dull and numb to our own sin to where we think we're actually got a good relationship with God when actuality is we're, we're probably only going to get into the kingdom, God, uh, kingdom of God just as one passing through the flames coming out smelling like smoke. That's in the scripture too. There's some saved just... That's not how we want to live. That's not how we want to go. Seek daily forgiveness. Forgive others. Forgive others. Spend some time in your prayer with, with God as you're going through this outline. First, acknowledge God is awesome and holy and sovereign. And then, Father, help me live out your kingdom here. I honor your name as holy because I am seeking holiness in my own life. And part of seeking holiness in my own life is asking for forgiveness of my sin while at the same time I'm forgiving others. And by the way, Lord, thank you for all the bread that you've given me. Thank you for the food that you have abundantly given us. There's, there's people in other parts of the world, brothers and sisters, that are starving. Acknowledge him. And ask God to protect you daily from temptation because it's out there. If you're a child of God, the moment your feet hit the floor, you're a threat to Satan. And Satan will use every tool in his tool belt with a shiny lure to pull you away from God.